Hello, this is Ellis Prince, the pastor of the Gallery Church of Baltimore. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. I hope this teaching inspires you and gives you courage to pursue Jesus Christ. I hope that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. If we can help you in any way, please feel free to reach out. Now let's get back to the podcast. So here is John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know, and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who, who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Aenon near Salim, because there was plenty of water, and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Wow, thank you, Mabel. I almost feel like that deserves applause, but uh, it was just her reading the scriptures faithfully to us. Um, and I think part of it is the applause is just felt because, man, what a, what a powerful chapter. Um, some of you are like, oh my goodness, is he going to teach on all 36 verses? No, I'm not. I'm going to focus on Nicodemus. Uh, and we've entitled this teaching today, The Smartest Person in the Room. And some of you are like, oh, he's talking about me. Um, no, I'm talking about me. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but here's the thing we're asking. We're taking 21 Sundays in a row. So this is going to end the Sunday before Advent. 
Uh, and so we're going right up to the Christmas uh, Advent season. And we can't cover every verse in every chapter. Even as you heard last week when Lana was focusing on Jesus in the temple, there's just so many verses that we can't touch. And so the desire is, is that we start a conversation on Sunday. You read the chapter every day that week and you continue to add to the conversation. Not just by yourself, but with others. I'm encouraging you through your growth community, through people that you pray with, going to dinner with, lunch with, you just pause and, and you invite Mabel to the table to read this chapter to you again, right? And then you sit there and you, and you ask, God, what are you trying to say through John, through this text to us? Um, but I also need to say one more thing before I get started. I know that words matter. Can I just let that? Words matter. And what can be said to one person that is encouraging can be very discouraging to somebody else. And so when you're in a moment like this and we're trying to take the words that John wrote and apply it to our lives today, one table grouping could get up and leave and like, oh, this was the best. Another table can get up and leave and be like, that was the worst. And we live in that tension. And it's going to take an act of God's spirit for it to be a good thing for all of us. Because we all have so many different life experiences. Uh, from the outside, I look at all of you right now and I'm like, man, we have a beautiful church. But on the inside, it would probably be like an episode of The Walking Dead. I mean, let's just be real. Can we be honest? I mean, like we really dress ourselves up really well. But on the inside, we all really do look alike. This life is hard. Words, actions, things that have been in our control, out of our control, decisions we've made, decisions other people have made, have left an indelible mark on us. And then there's people out there that come up with phrases like, no pain, no gain. And they need to be smacked. Pain <laughs> makes people strong is what they say, right? Okay, now, if you're in the gym, maybe. But one thing I can tell you about pain is it just proves that you're human. And we need to tap in to something that can touch our humanity. And so let's pray. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that your spirit would do right now um, what only your spirit can do and that I wouldn't get in the way. But Father, I also want to be an instrument in your hand that would encourage and build your church. And so, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that we can learn something from Nicodemus' interaction with Jesus. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, at your table, this is what I want you to do for the next couple of minutes. I want you to answer this question. Who does the smartest person go to when they don't know the answer? Talk to each other at the table. Who does the smartest person go to when they don't know the answer? Now, here's the best Jeopardy music. Thank you. All right. So don't look at me. Look at each other and ask each other the question. Let me ask you guys. All right. Somebody give me who, what you heard was like, wow, that was really good. Somebody. What you do what? Chat GPT. <laughs> All right. Okay. Should I have said that on the air? Um, what, uh, what else? What did you guys hear from at, the, at your table? Who does the smartest person go to? My wife. My wife. <laughs> that actually was said by a very wise man. Um, and for those of you listening online, the answer was my wife. Um, and, I'm, and I mean my wife. Um, no, so uh, anyone else? Good, good thought? Oh, that's great. Well, let's, let's just be honest. Um, when you have parents that you can lean into, uh, it really is a gift. And it very well goes with the dedication today. So thank you, Sarah. You get extra points. Um, so here's the thing. This, this is the exact scenario of John chapter 3. And when we can piece together here in the opening verses... And understand that Nicodemus very likely could have been the smartest 
person in the room, then I think you and I might be able to grasp the fact that John included this conversation in his gospel because it may be outside of Jesus's conversation with Pilate or Jesus's conversation at the Last Supper with his disciples, one of the most important conversations that was outlined for us in detail that are, that are written in the gospel account. Look at verse 1. It says, now there was a Pharisee. Okay, now this means he was a religious professional. This is a big deal. A man named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. So I want us to first notice this. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. That means he was an expert on God. Now the problem is we're not Jewish. So I'm going to have to do a lot of background work here to help us fully get present on the fact that Nicodemus would have most likely been able to quote for us the, the entirety of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He most likely could have recited it verbatim. It's very likely that in the majority of the major prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah, he could have recited it verbatim. It's very likely that other smaller prophets like Jonah or Habakkuk, he could have just literally recited. He very likely could have recited all 150 Psalms just from his mind. Let it roll. Like he could just share it. He was supposed to be in a group of people that were the most knowledgeable about who God is in the temple, which Lana taught us about last week. But here, I need you to hear me when I say this. Nicodemus knew what he knew, but he knew he didn't know. And so he was in a position where he was supposed to know. So he went to Jesus. You were like, that was a lot. But he was in a position when he knew that he didn't know. And he didn't know what he knew and how to make sense of it with Jesus. So here's this man coming to Jesus and imagine giving your entire life to understanding something and then just in a matter of days or weeks or the interactions with Jesus feeling like this makes sense but it doesn't make sense and I don't know what's going on and I am totally confused. Some of you may have started a relationship with somebody, a new roommate or a, a new work, and you started out well, and then something happened, and you're like, wow, I thought this was going in this direction, but it's not going in that direction, and things get all kinds of crazy on you, and I don't know what illustration might help you to understand that Nicodemus in this passage was not a novice in being a follower of God. He was not a beginner by any stretch of the means. He knew exactly the promises made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He knew exactly the times when Israel went into the wilderness, came out of the wilderness, went into exile, came out of exile. He knew that there were promises made to them that they were looking forward to. And something was happening in Nicodemus that caused him in his expertness to seek out a personal conversation with Jesus Christ. So what could Nicodemus have known or been an expert on? Everything about all the writings, which are referred to as Torah, and everything about the presence of God, which would have been seen in the tabernacle and in the building of the temple. So before we get to that, let me go back to two weeks ago. Because when John is writing this letter to us, he is doing something very strange compared to the other Gospels. He's not starting in the middle of the story, which is God coming to Mary. He's starting at the beginning of the story when God actually spoke the world into existence. So whatever else the story is about, we must learn to read each week, each chapter, by interpreting it in the light that this is a part of the human and God total narrative. This isn't just an excerpt in time in the first century that we can just laser in on and think we're going to get the fullness of understanding. John is tying this to the beginning of creation, to the present day, and even later speaking to things to come. 
and what is found in John's writing. And we're going to see it chapter after chapter. And there will be a sense of redundancy in some of the things that I say to us. Because it is a very explicit, obvious focus on the Jewish story. And it is also a very obvious focus on the Genesis narrative of the origin of us. And he's bringing those two powerful pillars into his letter. Listen to John chapter 1, verse 17. It's on the screen for you. For the law was given through Moses. Now he's name dropping. This would be like some of you, you know, walking around saying, yeah, this past week I got ready. To, I, I was able to hang out with Elon Musk. You know, we were just talking spaceships. Others of you would be like, man, this is like me getting a chance to spend a week with my mom. Like you name drop. Somebody special. Moses is special. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He said, wait a minute, the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we miss out on the fact that grace and truth was words used to describe Torah. No one has ever seen God, but one, the one and only Son who was himself God and is in the, in the closest relationship with the Father has, has made him known. So these hints in the opening chapter are very important for us to understand why Nicodemus would seek out Jesus. Because John is using two major characters in his letter, Abraham and Moses. And they're not simply heroes woven in to add color to the story. They're actually a major part. And he's saying to them, and this is why Nicodemus comes running, because he's saying that all of these old heroes, taking all of their champions, all of them, and he's saying there's something special happening in Jesus Christ that puts him above all of them. But Nicodemus didn't have a framework for anybody being above them. The long debate about Abraham and his two children comes out in John chapter 8. And we're going to talk about that in a couple weeks. And we need to be praying for Israel and the surrounding nations this morning because there is still a debate in our present day on who is the rightful heir to Abraham. We're still seeing it played out thousands of years later. People that are blood-related share a father's DNA are at war with one another. And so we're going to see how John weaves this Abraham story in there because part of what is driving Nicodemus crazy enough to find Jesus and have a face-to-face conversation with him is that the whole story of the Pharisees was to continue to identify who was in and who was out. Who's true blood and who's not true blood. Who's the true children? And then the question, of course, also is this fundamental Jewish debate about this um, covenant code. And the covenant code is actually the Torah, which is what Moses gave. It's the story of Israel's wandering, the story of their exile. It's the story of things that God said very explicitly, do these things. Prayers, pray these prayers. Um, prophetic moments of saying, do you not see that you're wandering? Nicodemus had all of this. And he's seeing that the covenant code of Jesus, is, or the covenant code of Moses is somehow interlaced with Jesus. And there are four, four and I'm just going to touch on them because we have like 19 more weeks to go through this. Four implied movements that are happening in John's gospel that are starting right now in John chapter 3. The first is this. There is the initial creation accomplished through the word. And notice the W is capitalized. It is not a word. It is the word, Jesus Christ. And so John is tying everything back to the word and making that connection to Jesus, and, I, and so I just skipped to number three. I'll come back to that. But there is a call in the history of Israel which results in this puzzling story and the world has rebelled against its creator and Israel has shared in that rebellion. John is going to talk about how Israel has been complicit. That doesn't make friends. John actually, the Baptist, in his prayer, in his life, is trying to tell people to repent of this lifestyle 
and it ultimately cost him his life and he's beheaded. We'll we'll read about that story very soon as well. But there is in the ministry of Jesus in which the word now identified with the human being Jesus of Nazareth confronts the world and now identified with his Jewish contemporaries. So there's a reason why Nicodemus as a religious leader is seeking after Jesus. And in various points in John's writings, John simply strongly implies a new understanding of the family of God. And it includes Gentiles. The, the, the mindset of Nicodemus would have been, wait a minute, there are people that are other than us. And I need to say this because we're going to have to spend some time on it at some point in time. But we struggle with having to have somebody else be other. Can that just rest on you just for a minute? We struggle with the, the fact that we must, there's somebody else in my life needs to be an other. And many of you travel the globe, and it is not just an American problem. Other continents have people that look very similar to one another, but to one, they are the better, and to another, they are the other. Paul, who wrote over half of our New Testament, He was a professional declarer of the fact that you are other. And then he had an encounter with Jesus. And then he became a professional declarer that you are all equal. How did that happen? Jesus. And this is why Nicodemus is going out of his mind. Because he's sitting here saying, like, I just know that this is true, but I I just don't have the bandwidth for it. I don't know what to do with this. So this would have been Nicodemus's world. So John has already revealed to us in this opening writings that some of the motivation behind Nicodemus coming to Jesus is because in John chapter 1, it's very obvious early on in Jesus's ministry that he is Shekinah and Torah. So let me explain that to you just a minute. Shekinah was the tabernacling presence of Yahweh in the temple of Jerusalem. Jesus is now saying, as Lana declared last week, I will destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. I'm going to take the Shekinah, the presence of God in this world, and I'm going to destroy it and rebuild it in three days. Nicodemus was smart enough to know he's claiming Shekinah and then redefining it as something other than the structure they had spent over 46 years building. Torah was the law given by Moses, and I talked about that just a moment ago. And so in John chapter 1 and verse 14, we see that the the word tabernacled and became a dwelling among us. And then we find that Jesus is now being likened to Moses and actually elevated over Moses and that only in Jesus Christ is there truly found the covenant code of God. So Nicodemus knew Shekinah inside and out. He could write papers, books, well, scrolls upon scrolls. And he could write scrolls upon scrolls upon scrolls about Torah. And he could talk to people about it. But he's sitting here saying the presence of God and the word of God is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Everything was revolving around Jesus and Nicodemus was noticing. John's gospel tells the recognizable Jewish story of Israel and the world and draws the eye on Jesus as the fulfillment and the purpose of the whole story. And Nicodemus is just overwhelmed. So notice first, he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. So that's what I want you to know. He is the smartest man in the temple. Second, he came to Jesus at night. Why would the smartest man in the world go to somebody at night? Because the smartest man in the world shouldn't be asking anybody for advice. Like, there's so much of this, this expertness that 
he couldn't just go in the daytime because there would have been other people witnessing. He didn't want to have this conversation out in front of other people because it was reworking the entire framework on the inside and the outside of who Nicodemus was. He comes to a man that has no certification and says, Rabbi. This guy just walked into the scene, and I'm, I'm not speaking disrespectfully of Jesus just for a minute. I'm trying to let you feel Nicodemus for a moment. He walks in on the scene with no formal education from any of the Jewish hierarchy. There's no Nicodemus stamp on his diploma. There's nothing on the wall where he lived to say he graduated from Jerusalem, Harvard. And Nicodemus comes up to him and says, Rabbi, giving him the respect of which other people give him when they approach Nicodemus and say, Rabbi. In verse 2, it says, He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, you know that you, we, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. So he says, we know you're from God, but I can't make sense of it. We should know, but we don't know. And I believe Nicodemus is saying we, but he actually means me. Have you ever had that in your home? Where it's obvious that you need to say it in the personal, but you add other people to it to kind of lessen the load? It's, it's like, yeah, we really should clean up the house. No, it's you should clean up the house, right? Have you ever been in a relationship? Whoa, that was a little... Keep yesterday in yesterday, all right? All right. So, but Nick, Nicodemus, says, I can see the outcome of your presence. And I don't have a problem with the outcome of your presence, but I don't understand the power of your words. So here's a group question for you. I want you to take a minute to ask each other this. How do you make sense of the actions and the message of Jesus when it goes against what you believe to be true and what you have been taught? So the question is on the screen. This is a little overwhelming, I know. And some of you are like, I've already used up all my words for a group this size. Sorry, you have a couple more. Let's squeeze them out. So talk to each other just for a moment. How do you make sense of the actions and the message of Jesus when it goes against what you believe to be true and what you've been taught? Two minutes. Talk about it. All right. So give me some of your answers. What are some of the things that you just threw out to each other? How do you make sense? What do you do? Go ahead. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's like, um, it's like the early church when they were encouraged to tap into the cloud of witnesses around them. So it could be people that have already been passed on that have written stuff or testimonies, or it could be other people in your life. Like, we need to be the church. We need to share what we're thinking with one another. That's great. What else? Anyone have anything different from that? I'm hoping by week seven, you guys are like ready for this and you just come at me like a blitz. Somebody like, what's a blitz? Uh, well, the Ravens start playing in a few weeks, you'll understand. All right. Hmm. Some things it's like, I just am not going to understand. I don't understand and I've got to learn to be okay with that. Um, that's really good. There's a, a lot of uh, scriptures that will talk to us about the fact that it's just like we, well, we talked about it in chapter one and chapter two of Habakkuk just a couple weeks ago. There's things that we just aren't going to understand. And we're going to say to God, God, I don't understand. And he's going to be like, you're right. Even if I tell you, you're not going to understand. But we want to understand. And we're not made to think. Like we think that we have the ability to know everything, but we don't. Um, and here's the thing. I love what Jesus does here because it seems like Jesus ignores Nicodemus' intent. 
and just hijacks the conversation and goes a totally different direction. And this is what I want you to understand. Jesus doesn't always answer the question you ask. He answers the question you have. Jesus doesn't necessarily ask, answer the question that you ask, but he will answer the question that you have. And so Nicodemus was so overwhelmed, he just came to Jesus just to push open the door, and he was at best trying to communicate where he was and what he needed, but Jesus knew exactly where he was and what he needed. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus is saying here that you are looking in the wrong direction, looking at the wrong thing. You need to understand something, and until you can see it, you're not born again. You have to be willing to ask questions against everything. I love the fact that Juliana was our dedication story to get this going this morning. Because right now, I mentioned that Juliana is in a situation where because her family's Brazilian and she grew up, she's going to have the opportunity to grow up to speak Portuguese and they live in America, they're going to learn to speak English, but they live in North Miami. What other language is she going to need to learn to speak? She's going to need to learn to speak Spanish. She's going to have friends that are going to be multilingual. And you could take Juliana right now at the age of one and place her in Singapore and she would learn to speak the language of the children around her. You could take her right now and take her to Nigeria and she would learn the most difficult of all African dialects just by placing her there. She is a sponge because she has been recently born. The problem is, as adults, we have a hard time wrapping our minds around what Jesus meant when he said you must be born again. God wants you to have the courage as an adult to ask questions that will get you to the right place. God wanted Nicodemus to have the courage and, and the courage he did to step in and question everything he was holding dear. Nicodemus is going in the night. He was willing because he, he, it was undeniable that Jesus was different and special, and not just different and special, like he had the highest IQ in school. He was from God, and it was ear, like, we can't fathom that because we've never come across that type of holiness in an individual before. But Nicodemus sees and comes to Jesus, and what Jesus is saying, it's not about what you see me doing, it's about what you can't see. He's like, I need you to have a new perception of reality. I'm here to help you see, to help you see that there is a kingdom that you can be a part of. One of the first questions I was asked as a child when I could start to comprehend Jesus, and tell me if you guys were one of the people that heard this. I actually adopted asking this question when I was in college. I don't currently use this type of questioning, but the question I was asked is, if you were to die today, would you go to... Heaven. The problem is the question has a perception issue. The question isn't necessarily that the heaven is the only thing that matters. That my life and the earth that I'm living on right now is a disaster and none of it matters. The only thing that's important is about getting to heaven. And Jesus is starting a dialogue with Nicodemus that wasn't Jesus saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, I know you're the smartest man in the temple, but if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? He wanted Nicodemus to experience something then and now that was incredibly special and powerful. This, and this is where I kind of like some of the superhero movies that are out right now. And some of you are like, I don't watch any superhero movies. Just tune back in in two minutes and we'll pick right back up. All right. But right now, the superhero lines are getting into these multi-dimensional universes. And some of you are like, yes. And other of you are like, what? All right. So Jesus talked about dimension before Marvel. Jesus talked about a, a different reality before anybody else was talking about this craziness of multiple universes. Jesus was the one that said, at, well, the Father was the one that said at Jesus' baptism, this veil is being torn. 
I'm separating it so you can see heaven and earth. And there was no rapture to another place. It happened right there on the edge of the Jordan River. There was this moment where heaven and earth were seen to be interlaced, like here but not. And if you were here for our Good Friday teaching, you know that we, we, we walk as a church in this time where the kingdom of this world, where the kingdom is ruled by people that hate people that want to abuse power, people that are consuming unnecessary resources for themselves, place where selfishness reigns, that is going to come to an end. It hasn't yet, but soon. But there's this other line that's God's line that was intended from the beginning that is going to go past all of that. And someday that kingdom is going to be the only reality. But right now, there's two kingdoms that are running parallel with one another. And some of us in this room right now are in one, and some of us in this room are in the other. Some of us right now are in a kingdom that is just totally overcome by jealousy and rage. That's not the kingdom of Christ. Others of us in this room right now are in a kingdom of kindness and gentleness, and yet we share a table. Those dimensions are so close. And this is why Nicodemus is going out of his mind trying to perceive, what do you mean you must be born again? He could not be more confused. And listen to what Jesus says. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb, nor would there be any mother willing. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born. He's saying to the smartest man in the room, you shouldn't be surprised by this. This is so important, church. It means that Nicodemus had a chance to understand it before that moment, and he missed it. The wind blows wherever it pleases. The, you hear its sounds, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Nicodemus was so stuck in his world that he couldn't see. And brothers and sisters, this is what I feel like in the midst of all of the pain and the joys and the highs and the lows and this roller coaster of life, it doesn't matter what your experiences are. All of us are only seeing right here. There is so much more beyond what our eyes can see. But the problem is, is we want to be so limited by just the, the physical us. And I said this earlier, you are a spiritual being that has a physical experience not vice versa. You're not a physical being with a spiritual experience. You're a spirit that has a physical experience. I know this is going to sound a little fun e, or hypocritical um, or maybe even bad theology, but many of you come from parts of the world where the majority of the religions around them are praying for a day that they can be reincarnated into something new. Can I tell you something without you guys going to another church next Sunday? Jesus is the only one that can reincarnate you. And you don't have to wait to the end of this life to become the better version of yourself. You don't have to live this life to become the butterfly when your life has been like a caterpillar. You can literally go from caterpillar to butterfly now. You can go from being a bad person on their way to destruction to being a good person on their path to bringing joy and life to others. And it doesn't have to wait till your next life. So many of the people around the world are craving to be made new, but they're trapped by their theology that they can't be made new until the next life. We have a God that has the power to make us new today. And this is why Nicodemus was struggling. How can this be? And Jesus is saying, I'm trying to get heaven into earth and not get earth into heaven. Because Genesis says in the beginning, God created a bad earth. He created bad animals, bad vegetation, bad planet, 
bad solar system, bad sunrises, sunsets. Have you ever seen a bad, like, I'll take that back. The Canadian fires have ruined a few sunsets for me recently, <laughs> all right? So there are bad sunsets, right? But that's human and not divine. Nicodemus was an expert in religion and in the God of Israel, and he couldn't understand. I'm going to skip down right now. You know the passage around John 3.16. You know that it follows up with God didn't come to condemn the world. I want to play on that just for a moment. But in order for me to do that, I want you to step into the sandals of Nicodemus and understand when Jesus said to him, you could know, but you don't know. You should understand this, but you don't. And I want to take you to an Old Testament book that's really small, but is really clear. And I'm going to summarize the entire book for you, hopefully in the next 60 seconds. And it is actually the book of Hosea, the prophet. Hosea, and you can read it later by name in probably 15 or 20 minutes. But if you sit down with Hosea, you're going to realize this. Hosea was praying and God said, marry her. And her was Gomer. So Hosea was like, great, I'm a prophet. I listen to you speak. And when you speak, I do. So he married Gomer. Gomer, now his wife, was unfaithful. And because children are in the room, I'm just going to say she was very unfaithful. So much so that she enjoyed being around other people other than Hosea. Are you tracking with me? Please don't make me try to be any clearer. All right. So much so that Hosea actually had children and he wasn't sure that if they were his. And he actually names one of his children, not mine. Could you imagine that going around the village and everybody's like, hey, not mine. Like that was the name given to one of the children. But eventually, Gomer left Hosea and all the kids. She left all of them, went to another man, then went to another man, and then went to another man, and then went to another man. And then finally, she ran into a man that was like, you lied to me, you've been unfaithful to me, I'm now going to sell you as a slave. And now she is up for sale, totally exposed. Do you understand what I mean by that? And God says to Hosea, no, excuse me, Hosea says to God, why did you pick this to be my life? And God's response to Hosea was, I wanted you to know what it's like to be me. And Hosea's like, well, then what, what should I do if I'm to know what it's like to be you? And he's like, I want you to go and I want you to buy her back. Now imagine Hosea, being obedient, which again, a great testimony, goes to this auction, sees Gomer fully exposed, ready for sale. And then imagine Gomer on the auction block hearing a familiar voice saying 10 shekels, 20 shekels, 30 shekels, 100 shekels, and she knows the voice of Hosea. And eventually he doesn't quit until she is his. And he goes up to her and immediately takes off his outer coat, wraps it around her and says, you are my wife and we're going home. Nicodemus had no excuse. He should have known the, the, the lengths at which God would go to take care of us, to love us. Nicodemus could see that God had come to redeem him, but he was struggling with the why and trying to understand how it fit into everything. God doesn't condemn you. Humans condemn you. Can I get you guys to hear me when I say this? I don't care what you have done. God does not condemn you. Humans condemn you. People aren't atheists. People are ahuman. People really don't believe in humans because humans hurt humans. God does not hurt you. We, it would be me standing up in front of you saying, I am the proof that there is no God. Because God should be written all over me. 
God should be written all over the border between Ukraine and Russia right now. God should be written all over the border of Israel and Palestine. God should be written all over the border between the fences that are still up in Baltimore that still show the signs of redlining eras. Like there should be places where in our humanity, people are seeing the two dimensions collide and the new dimension winning out. And that's supposed to be the church on display for the glory of God. People are not believing in God because God isn't good. People are not believing in God because humans are awful. Can I go back to what I said to you guys earlier? On the outside, you look great, but on the inside, we look like the walking dead. The sooner you and I realize that that's who we are, the sooner we get a chance to enter the kingdom of God. As sooner as you and I realize that God must make me new because in my best day, I am not walking in the kingdom of God. I get jealous. I get angry. I want to explode on people. I'm not automatically self-sacrificing and kind. There's so many ways, but we only see in others evil. We don't see evil in ourselves. And Nicodemus was having a moment where all that he knew, Torah, and all he knew about the presence of God, Shekinah, was colliding in Jesus Christ. And he was like, I don't understand it, but I need to get close to him. And it says he went to Jesus in the night, but that's the closest Nicodemus had ever been to light. And I just want to say to us as a church, you and I have got to get comfortable finding our way to Jesus, whether night or day. We need to be with him because he literally is the smartest one in the room. The moment that you and I understand God's intention for us, it's the moment that our lives change, that we're transformed, that we become new. I said this two weeks ago, and I'll probably say it every couple weeks as we go through the Gospel of John. The self-giving love, the capital L, self-giving love, will allow us to be who we are supposed to be. It's in Jesus Christ that you and I can be who we're supposed to be. Have you and I given him our life? It's as simple as us saying, Jesus, I give you my life. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. Nicodemus came to Jesus in the night, was finding light. And this morning you came to church and it's my desire that you can find light. And if you've never said to Jesus, I'm all in with you. What more compelling story or conversation than Nicodemus and Jesus do you need before you realize that Jesus was in the beginning? He will be in whatever the end is, and he's going to make sure that we're not condemning each other for all eternity, that we're not harming each other for all eternity, because his desire is for you and I to have an abundant life. And the only way we can experience the abundant life is if we step out of the reality that we're in and we step into a new dimension called the kingdom of God. And it is in this room right now. So who in here needs to say, Jesus, I give you my life? Let that be your, your prayer today. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm going to invite the worship team up right now. If you prayed the prayer, Jesus, I give you my life, I'd love for you to let our prayer team know that's going to be near the Lord's table. I'd love for you to go to them and say, hey, look, I gave Jesus my life, and I just want to tell you as the first expression of that, let them pray for you, let them celebrate with you. Others of you in here, you just need to realize that there is a walking dead going on inside of you, and the only way that you're going to get over that is to be reborn, to enter again, and to come out like, like Julia, Fresh and new to life, a sponge to take in everything Jesus tells you and not the things that the world's telling you. We need the mind of a child. Teach us everything we need to know, Jesus. Let's get this world out of us. Let's get your kingdom in us. Maybe that's your prayer today. God, give me the mind of a child. I want to soak up who you are. Would you stand with me? Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that your spirit would move in us that those that need to confess you as Lord would just do that right now by saying, Jesus, I give you my life. And for those in here, Lord, that are struggling because life has been hard, I ask that you would make them new. Father, there's so much that we don't understand and there's so much that we will never understand, but that doesn't mean that you aren't good and that you aren't faithful, that you, that you don't understand. You understand. 
We are just so limited, even though we feel like we excel at everything, Father, we fall so short to you. Father, I pray that we would be overcome by the curiosity and the passion to know that this professional smart person, Nicodemus, was willing to set down his pride, look somebody in the face and say, you are the rabbi. Teach me. I don't understand. I still don't understand. Teach me again. That doesn't make sense. Teach me again. How can this be? Teach me again. I don't understand. Teach me again. Father, I pray that there would be a persistence to us in our faith, knowing that God is true. Even though I might not understand it, God is true. He is truth. He is love. He is life. He redeems. He left heaven to come to earth to buy us off of the blocks. Father, we are condemning each other left and right. May that stop. Father, may there be a spirit of celebration in your church and not a spirit of condemnation. Would there not be a spirit of competition and comparison? Lord, would there be a spirit of, of encouragement, of hospitality amongst us? Father, would we stop desiring things from each other and would we desire things for each other? Would we help each other through life and not make life harder? So Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that your spirit would work in us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Gallery Church Podcast. I want you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your mind and heart. Let Jesus through the Holy Spirit do the deep work that only he can do. I want to say thank you to everyone who gives to the church. Your gifts make this podcast and ministry possible here in Baltimore and other parts of the world. You can be a part of our work by going to gallerychurchbaltimore.com give or by downloading the church app from the app store. You can also subscribe and share these podcasts with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening or watching and may God's grace and peace be with you.